Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Today I'm joined with Bobby Manning, one of my co-workers, I should say, for Celtics Blood. Bobby's on the, waiting for a train on the way to the TD Garden as we speak. He's going to get to do all the fun media stuff that the rest of us wish we could. How are you doing today, Bobby? Hey, it's, it's freezing here in Boston. I can't, I can't even move right now. I'm so cold. And in my house, it's not much better. I, I got to turn up the heat or something because my feet are freezing. My hands are freezing. It's that time of year. So... Hey, I'm heading to the garden right now. Hopefully, I'll find some warmth on the train. Hopefully, just find the nearest seat to a to a radiator and just <laughs> post up. Don't let nobody take that from you. So, yeah, but it's, it's always it's always special going to these games, and I'm very excited about tonight. Even though it seems like everybody on both teams is hurt. Yeah, so I saw that. So Luke Kennard's going to be out. Blake Griffin's not playing either, right? Yeah, Blake's got some knee pain, I I believe. Uh, I didn't see what Luke Kennard was out with, but he's been playing very well for them. So once again, the Celtics, uh, they're missing three bodies themselves, and the other team's going to kind of cancel it out, just like the Dallas game where Luka missed for them, and uh, Hayward, Smart, and Rob Williams are going to continue to miss for the Celtics. So a little bit of relief, especially uh, against a tougher matchup where they were going to have to be short on big men and face two of the best big men in the league. Yeah, and I actually put a tweet out yesterday saying that exact thing, that I was very concerned with how we were going to be handling the like size and presence of both Drummond and Blake Griffin at the same time when we're short on numbers in our bigs rotation. Yeah, it's it's been a challenge in those matchups for the Celtics this year. And fortunately, they haven't had to play too many teams that throw two big men of that caliber at them. Uh, they're probably going to get a more favorable matchup now without Blake in there with a wing that Brown and Tatum are more equipped to go up against. I'm not 100% sure who that will be. But, yeah, those matchups have been interesting, and especially when they don't have Marcus Smart as they've had, and his eye con- infection continues to fester, it appears. And who knows what's going on there. I was talking to Joel on the postgame show last night, and I'm like, is this, is this bad pink guy? But Brad said today that, it was one of the worst eye infections that the doctors have ever seen. So take that for what you will. I don't know what that's like, what that looks like, what that feels like, but it doesn't sound good at all. So fortunately, the Celtics have been able to get by because when I look at the matchups against big men, yeah, Brown and Tatum are going to be the first guys that they throw at those uh, players. But Marcus Smart in switching and rotation is just as crucial for tackling those matchups. So, they're going to miss him a lot still, but missing Blake Griffin in this game on the Detroit side is crucial because I didn't feel great about the personnel that was going up against them. Now, Adam Porzingis only had 23 points for Dallas in that game. I thought that was a disgrace, and that's something that I still criticize him for more than anything, and I'm a big fan of Porzingis, is that when he's going up against smaller matchups that are in his favor, he's not able to take advantage. I mean, he should have 30, 40 points against the Celtics front line when Marcus Smart is out there. But Brown, Tatum, Semi Ojale, those guys were able to handle him, and I felt like 23 points was pretty good performance for them defensively against a guy that big. 
Yeah, for sure. Especially seems how easily he was getting to the lane whenever he wanted to. It felt like he was more content with trying to shoot over guys than actually put pressure on the interior D. I don't know if that's because he's working his way back from such a long injury layoff that he doesn't want to risk kind of re-injuring himself in such an early season game. But it was kind of a really impressive defensive performance from Jalen Brown on Paul Zingas. I know he had some terribly missed rotations throughout the game. I thought he did quite well, actually, man-on-man with Chris Stapps when they were matched up. Yeah, I I definitely feel that way. And I think Brown deserves a ton of credit in that sense because Tatum has been the steadier defender all year long because on-off numbers are obviously among the league's best. And I love the way that he's been able to use his length to block shots on the weak side. But on the strong side this year, going up against the power forwards that they face, it's been Brown stepping up to that challenge. And when you consider that Tatum's been the shakier one offensively with percentages in the low 40s, and Brown is shooting right around 56% effective field goal, to be the guy getting the tougher defensive matchups the way he has in terms of brute size, while also being the more steady hand on offense, I think is extremely impressive because, you know, we see this especially from the point guards that the Celtics have had over the years. They try to get them in lighter positions on defense, not only because they've been smaller between Irving and Isaiah and now Kempa, but also because these guys have taken such a load on offense that they try to get them a little rest on defense. To see Brown with the load that he's taken on offensively also go into the most grueling, exerting matchups on defense has really impressed me. And that's why I still say he, to me, has been the best Celtic so far. Even though Gordon Hayward has been when he's out there, Hayward just hasn't been out there enough. And uh, he's going to miss tonight's game again, but it sounded like that MRI was good on his foot. I'm a little worried about that, Adam, because uh, feet concerns are never what you want to hear about a basketball player. It might be the number one thing you never want to hear about a player. Yeah, and I'm very concerned that it's going to be an injury that kind of sticks with him now for the rest of his career, especially since it's on the injured foot from previously. I did read saying that he had an MRI before he injured his hand, and that actually came up clear. So they gave him a cortisone shot, but then his foot didn't respond to to the shot. And then coming back after the hand injury kind of just brought back the pain levels. So it's kind of intriguing to see what exactly is wrong there. It's worrying as well because you don't want this to be something that actually hinders him as a player for a long for the rest of his career. We've seen similar players go down that road after a bad injury. And the way he was playing to start the year was really encouraging. So I'm hoping it's just a short-term thing. Yeah, and this is where I wish I was a doctor because you know, us knowing nothing about medicine, you wonder, does that break in the ankle affect the foot at all? I don't know, and I I probably do want to talk to one of these sports doctors that make comments on sports injuries from time to time because I feel like just guessing those two things could be related on the same foot there, especially where he's felt it for such a long period of time now. Maybe it has nothing to do with at all. Maybe he was just working his foot too hard in the comeback process, but I don't know. It's, It's definitely something to keep an eye on, and you know, they definitely want to tread lightly on that. They have the wings to get by with Hayward for an extended period of time if they need to rest them here. And I would do that if I was them to get the best out of him come playoff time. Because honestly, the regular season, they can get by with Brown and Tatum. And 
you know, use that to their advantage and be consistent with it. I'd rather have Haywood healthy 100% without the lingering foot injury come playoff time. And if that means another few weeks, another month off, so be it. I think they can sustain. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'd much rather not see Haywood now until, if it came to it, until late February and know that he's 100% healthy and ready to go. The one thing I'm hoping he can do is still do light cardio work so he doesn't have too much of a like an uphill battle once he does get back on the floor, if he has that sort of layoff, obviously. but Yeah, that's the concern. Is he got in such a rhythm that you want to see him continue to be on the ball and have that connection with his teammates game in a game out? And it's tough, too, from a rotation standpoint because – they want to be into more set rotations come that part of the year that you mentioned, February. And to have to reintegrate him come then, get Smart in with that second unit, they're definitely fine having Smart as part of the primary unit guy when that time comes. But, you know, Brad Wanamaker and that second unit have built such a rhythm now that come later when you have to integrate Haywood into the starters, you're integrating Smart with that bench unit too. So those are – so that's the only concern I have there. This team has been deeper than I expected, Adam. I, I've been really impressed with the bench and the depth of the team, given how unproven they were coming in. So that doesn't concern me. It's just the mixing and matching of the guys over the long term if he does end up missing a lot of time here. Yeah, it's all about, as you've said, it's all about the rhythm. It's about making sure that the thing is when you're playing with set rotations and you've got guys like Brad Wanamaker who knows he's one of the first guys off the bench, he's used to having set plays run for him. And then you move a guy as prominent as somebody like Marcus Smart to the bench to play alongside him. It starts changing the type of play calls that are being made and the ball might not be in his hands as often as what he's been used to up until that point. So hopefully they can get that kind of figured out way before the playoffs come around because otherwise you could start seeing some of the issues that crept into last year maybe start creeping in slightly here. I do think this team's a lot more of a close unit than last year, though. So hopefully I don't think that's going to happen. And the depth has been fantastic. Grant Williams, for a rookie, has been really impressive up to this point. Hey, Adam. Hey, dude. Hey, so I'll, uh, I'll just pick it up from your Grant question. Sound good? Yeah, yeah, perfect. All right, you need to uh, press the record button or you good? All good, still recording. All right. Yeah, I, w- I was very impressed by Grant Williams against Dallas. It might have been his best or at least top three game of the year. And it's nice to see progress from the rookies. See, he was picking his matchups better. The play that really stuck out to me in the game was when he posted up Seth Curry and got himself that hook shot that went. He only had seven points in the game between that and the three. It might have been five to seven points, something like that. So he wasn't overwhelming in that or the plus minus, but his play stuck out to me. He was rotating well defensively and getting those little bursts of points across the bench has been what's made that bench unit so effective this year. Shemi, him, Brad Wanamaker, those guys aren't blowing the doors off in terms of points, but collectively, they're building about 20 to 30 points a game that are crucial. And when you have starters that can put up 76-plus, 
even just three starters that are doing that, it's been enough offensively. They're not an elite offensive team, but I think given what they have, those contributions like Grant have really added up and been a reason that they're among the best in the league so far. And Jalen Brown loved that post-up move on Seth Curry. Mm. Did you see his reaction? Five of ten. Five of ten from three, man. It's <laughs> his shot comes and goes, but he has nights where he looks lethal as anyone. Did you see uh, Jalen's reaction after Grant Williams posted up Curry? <laughs> yeah, definitely. He I mean, hyped. the bench reactions have been awesome all year, especially when uh, he hit his first three and Wanamaker fell down and no one else did it. That, that was one of my favorite moments of the year because Brad had said that everyone was supposed to fall down and only he ended up doing it. So both nights that Grant hits a three, we have some funny bench reactions. But that's part of what's making this team so good, right? The fact that everybody's pulling for each person's individual success as long as the collective. So Yeah, and I think that's been Steven's mantra for a long time is keeping everybody involved. There isn't one person you can look to on this team besides, say, Romeo Langford that hasn't made a contribution. And I hate to single Langford again and again, but even he played five minutes in that game. So it was nice to finally see him out there for the first time. He looked quite active on defense as well, which is probably the only takeaway I could really get from that cameo appearance. Yeah, he moves well. I think the fundamentals, shooting, maybe being in the right place positionally, are what we look for with him. But in terms of the movement itself, he's quick, he's shifty, and I think that translates well to both sides of the court. Now, I, I've been very critical of him, Adam, and I've gotten a lot of criticism back for being critical. I'm, I'm still keeping an open mind to him long term. I didn't love the pick. I thought there were better guys, including Brandon Clark, that they could have taken there. But I'm not going to count out a guy that young long term. It's just this year where they're contending for a title, it looks like. You'd like to have a guy who can contribute. And now we're into December, late December, and this being the first time that he's made a contribution. That was tough for me. But you, you don't make picks for today. You make them for tomorrow. And maybe in 2021, he's a starter and I look dumb. The way it got put to me by a good friend of mine that's totally head over heels in love with Romeo just like from a basketball perspective I hope it's just from a basketball perspective is um he's, <laughs> he's probably got the highest upside out of any of our draft picks but he's also got the highest percentage of being a bust out of any of our draft picks yeah and that's what you do at 14 right you look for a guy that people might have overlooked and take a chance on him I, that's two drafts Danny's done that in a row where he's picked lottery guys who had concerns that pushed them back beyond the lottery. And uh, Romeo Langford was right on the edge of that lottery spot. Um, Rob Williams falling all the way back to 27. So you see the concerns with both of those guys that made them fall back, right? Injuries, a broken shot with Langford. Those two things have played out with both of those guys. And that's what you get here. And then you try to make the best of it. So I don't think those picks are ever bad where you take guys who have all the talent in the world have some concerns with it and try to make the best of it when you're picking that low like they were. The thing is, that's, you know, it wasn't the 20s. It wasn't Jared Sollinger. It wasn't Rob Williams at 27. This was 14 when some other talented guys were there. So that's why I have a little more of a problem with it because you see what Brandon Clark's doing with Memphis. He is 11 and 6. He's a steady contributor to that team. His shooting's terrific from all three levels. So it kills me that they don't have that guy. 
hopefully, hopefully we can see Langford try and get some longevity with the team now. Now he's over the worst of his injuries and start at least contributing in small, small sample sizes to begin with. I think that the way he can run the floor and how good he is of a slasher, well, what he was in college at least, kind of allows himself a bit of breathing room on the NBA court. What I did notice was he's very, very slight of frame. There was a time where he used his body to shield the ball from, I think it was only Seth Curry, and Seth Curry was just able to put an arm on his back and just move him to poke the ball away. So strength is going to be a big issue for him to be, to, for this year at least. Yeah, for all these rookies, right? They're all shorter guys. I remember the day they introduced these guys. I mean, I'm a six foot two guy, and you know they were right on my level. Grant wasn't much bigger than me, and that's another reason these guys fall. And you try to make the best of their deficiencies and fit them into a system that maximizes their strengths. And I think with all these rookies, the Celtics have a system that can really make the best of these guys. For Grant, I, I want to shift it back to Grant because he, he's probably going to have to play a little five for the team going forward, especially on Christmas Day if Ennis Cantor can't get out there, can't travel over the border. We're still keeping an eye on that situation, and they might end up in that game with only Daniel Tyson, Taco Fall being the center. So Grant, especially in that matchup, is probably going to play five going forward. And you know, this isn't this isn't Draymond Green in terms of size and physicality. It's he's a much smaller guy and both run and height. So I'm a, I'm a little concerned about that. They've, they've made the best of those minutes so far, but there isn't a big track record of how those go over the more long term. He's going to have to rely on his basketball like you, no doubt. There's probably going to be, they're probably going to be running a few traps as well, trying to get the ball out of the post. But the problem with a team like um, T- Toronto on Christmas is they can shoot from anywhere, any level on the court. So if you're trapping guys down low, they're either going to feed out the block and catch you on the free, or they're going to find a guy cut into the rim. So it is going to be a difficult aspect for them. I do like the idea of thinking of Grant Williams as a future Draymond Green light. Like a, he's never going to be as strong or intense as Draymond, but he's definitely got the IQ level and the effort level to kind of make make life difficult for opposing teams when he's guarding some of their bigger guys. I just think that this game is going to come a little bit too early for him to make a, a huge contribution. That, that's been what's most impressive about him. Nothing blows me away about him, really. I mean, he was a post-up, mid-tier guy who played a lot in the in-between area in college. And that's not something he can do out here, so he's had to become a spot-up shooter, and he struggled with that. He can't back down many players in this league, even in the small ball era. You know, there's not a lot of guys who are being outsized like Grant Williams. So what's he done to get by? He's He knows exactly where he needs to be defensively, and he gets there. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think he'd even be playing right now. So there's a lot he has to overcome, and the fact that he's become a rotation member this early is, to me, exemplary of his IQ. I think you got to hand that to him 100%. I, I, I hate using that phrase a little bit because you know, it makes it seem like other guys aren't as smart and that's rare and anomaly for guys to be that smart. But I think when you're talking about a young guy specifically, you can't do that because not a lot of guys come out of college with that sense for an NBA defense. So with Grant, it fits for me. Yeah, he reads the defense phenomenally well for a guy that's only been in the league a few months. Yeah, absolutely. 
And they, they have smart defenders up and down this lineup. It, it, it's amazing how despite the deficiencies they have, you know, those Isaiah years with having a point guard that they can attack like that. And then this year, having a guy like Ennis Cantor and a rotation of centers that isn't always stable, they make the best of it. They don't have a power forward. They're still among one of the elite defenses in the league. Uh, Stevens had that year in 2016 when they were dealing with Kelly Olenek and Jared Sollinger that they weren't as strong on that end. But every year, I think you can start to consider Stevens among the best defensive coaches in the league. Yeah, I was just about to say something to similar effect. Just saying how every player that seems to play under him, even if their offense doesn't take a jump, their defense really comes along in leaps and bounds. I always yeah, Kelly Olenek. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Stevens if they yeah. play for Boston and then get paid in a few years' time. Yeah, maybe maybe we underrated Kelly's defense a little bit because he's still playing well on that end in Miami. But Miami also runs a very similar defensively-oriented structure to what Boston does. And Eric Spolstra is a very strong coach in that regard, too. So he's had two great defensive coaches in his career. Yeah, I enjoy watching Kelly Olynyk play. He makes me laugh. I always remember his uh, love affair with Phil Presley, so that always makes me chuckle. I always miss Kelly when he comes through. And that Miami team's been impressive. You know what makes me feel good, Adam, is that with how good that team's looked, we saw the Bucks wreck the Lakers last night, who had only had a few losses before that. And the Celtics have beaten all these teams. It feels like the only team that they can't get over is uh, the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Yeah, the size on the Sixers is a big issue. I thought that was going to be one of the Sixers' downfalls to start the year. I thought maybe they were too big and they were going to struggle to keep pace with some of the faster, smaller teams in the league. I still do think that. I'm going to die on that hill. Um, but I do think it's very always good when you see the Lakers lose. Always good when you see the Lakers lose. The question... Now, Go ahead. If I was the 76ers, I would have traded Ben Simmons because I think they need to break that up a little bit and they would have gotten a ton in return. I think Embiid's the guy there long-term. I think he's the transcendent talent. But even he, you know, Charles, Shaq were ripping him. He came out with that 38-point game. That's who he has to be more often. You know, we talk about Giannis. We talk about Luka, Harden. He should be in that conversation. So I still have my reservations about them too. And it's a tough matchup for the Celtics, Adam. It certainly is. I think they're someone who can be beaten before the Celtics run into them in the playoffs. And that's probably what the Celtics have to hang their hat on because they don't have the personnel to match up with them offensively. No, they're too, they are really big and they're really strong and fast. I do agree that Ben Simmons is probably one of the worst point guards that Embiid could be playing with because Embiid would be better with a, a point guard that does most of his damage from beyond the, beyond the three-point line. Having a guy like Simmons that just wants to drive and clug the paint is really suffocating Embiid's room to work. Yeah, they, they've made good moves to adjust, though. Right? Matisse Seibel was such a good draft pick. If we talk about mid-tier guys as we have here, he's been amazing for them. And they have other bench guys who have really helped break this up a little bit. If they're in those Markel Fultz years, it felt like it was those five awkward starters and nothing else could... Uh, break things up besides T.J. McConnell. And now they've lost McConnell, and it feels like they're in an even better spot. So, you know, kudos to them. Uh, I think Brett Brown gets a lot of crap, but he's done a decent job with the squad this year. So we'll see if they can uh, put themselves among the top-tier contenders in the East. It's, it's got to be the Bucks first and foremost. I mean, their first unit, second unit combination is as good as any in the league right now. It doesn't feel like they lose much of anything when Giannis walks off the court. Um, 
You know, if I was the 76ers, we saw it against the Celtics last week, that Mike Scott and Bead combination, that looked deadly. That opened up the floor for them, and then it allows Al Horford to go to the bench and lead that second unit. If they do that, we might talk about Philly as NBA final contenders. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Philly as NBA final contenders. <laughs> Neither do I, man. It's hey, true, though. That's why it's, it's frustrating. True. And Fibill was such a good draft pick. It hurts to know that that was part of the deal that we used to. That, that was what coincided with a move that followed for Baines to go to Phoenix, right? Yeah. And these two teams are going to be tied at the hip for years and years and years off that Tatum thing, too. They both project to be two of the better teams long term in this conference. I've loved what's developed there between the two. Uh, there's no love lost on the court. The fan bases hate each other. And, uh, you know, I have a distaste for how they're built, too, that I hope to be proven right on. So I'm going to hang with that group as well, who uh, is skeptical of them and doesn't see them in the finals one, one of these days. So just to wrap up, Bobby, I just want to see how you're feeling about tonight's game. Do you think it's going to be a tough one, or are you expecting not an easy win, but, you know, not as difficult a game as what we was expecting before all these injuries got announced? What matchups are you looking for the Celtics to exploit? Well, they're going to have to box out Drummond. I, this is a game where he could absolutely go off from an offensive rebounding standpoint. And uh, the Celtics haven't been among the better teams at securing all the stops that they get. What I'll say, though, is that they haven't been typical for a team that gives up a lot of offensive rebounds in terms of being hurt by them. And I think it's because they're so great at the three-point shot. Um, they're able to make up for it on offense. And even if the other team gets, I don't know, eight to ten points off second chance points, they can make up for those by hitting, you know, a few more threes and having 14 points to make up for that in its own right. So I definitely see them winning tonight. Um, Blake, as far as their stretching and creation goes, really throws things for a whack. I'm not a big Reggie Jackson fan, and uh, their guard depth gets hurt further by Luke Kennard being injured tonight. So this should be one that the Celtics can breeze through fairly simply, even with all the injuries they have. Um, you know, I'm excited to see Tatum. Brown, Kemba, that tear that they went on against the Mavericks the other night, can that continue? If so, they're going to have a ball win tonight. And for every game Kemba's playing, he's becoming so much more effective off drag screens. I find whenever he's coming off a pick and roll, he always looks dangerous. But he just has oh a knack God. of finding the right guy every time off a drag screen. It's beautiful. And he puts the guys behind them many times. Like they are behind him trying to contest those three-point shots. You know, we heard a lot about how similar this could be to Isaiah, and the way they use screens to free him up, it is very reminiscent of what Isaiah was doing out there on the three-point line, getting in the lane. And you know what? Another similarity, these guys are doing all their work in the fourth quarter to shut the game down. So I love the comparison coming into this year, and it's starting to play out. Hopefully he can lead us the same way IT did during the playoffs as well. So yeah, this time absolutely. we're going to have the stronger, more evolved versions of Jalen and Jason. And for tonight as well, I'm hoping to see a good game from Ennis Cantor. The matchup against Drummond feels like one he should be more suited to than some of the other games he's played in recently. Big buddy, yeah, big he, buddy down low. Yeah, he had trouble going against Chris Stapps too. Um, they had two bigs there in Dallas that could really swamp him in the post. And he had an awful game in that one. Now that he's going more one-on-one with a guy, I think he'll have a little more success. And there's a lot of hate for him among the Celtics fan base. I don't feel like they've 
hated a player in my time following the team quite like they hate Tanner. And I can't paint all Celtics fans with the same brush. This is mostly off Twitter, the internet, the bloggers that I'm reading. There's a lot of distaste for him out there. And I get it. The defense is bad. But Stevens has used him in a way that's made him an overall plus, if you look at the statistics. And he does have those moments. We're looking at that screen grab of him just standing there with Chris Stapps underneath <laughs> from uh, the other night. So I've been a fan of him. You know, his personality, some people find it corny. I definitely think his whole turkey crusade is very inspiring to follow. And the genes and all that other stuff, whatever, it just fits the mold of the team. Um, He's definitely not the long-term center that I want for this team. But this year, in terms of a rotation guy, in terms of producing bench points, I've been impressed by him and how they've used him. Yeah, I don't think he's been as bad as what the internet would have you believe. And I've been very keen to stress to guys that this was a centre that was a starting centre for the Trailblazers in the Western Conference Finals like like nine months ago. It's You can't be a starting calibre centre in the Western Conference Finals and be as terrible as what Twitter is making out he is at the moment. Yeah, and you know, Max threw out that stat that no team is worse or drops off more in terms of rim protection than the Celtics do with him on the floor. And I, I guess some of that is his rim protection. You know, there was another play against Dallas where a guy just went right at him and finished inside. But I feel like a lot of that, too, is that he's on the offensive boards on the other end. If he can't get it, then the other team's just running right through the rim in transition, which has its own drawbacks. But it also is refreshing to have a guy who can shift the game with putbacks the way he does. Yeah, against Dallas, he was um, he was grabbing the offensive boards, but then every putback he tried, he was just getting blocked. I felt so sorry for the guy by the end of the game. Yeah, it was a struggle for him against Dallas, definitely. But I feel like there's been more good than bad. And this is how I feel, Adam. If, uh, say we just go on a numerical basis, if he's a plus one, that's better than a minus seven. And even if those minutes that he does play are just a plus one, He's the bench center. You know, they have Daniel Tice in front of him. If he was the starter on this team, I'd feel much differently. And in fact, I do see Robert Williams jumping him even by the end of the year. But uh, in terms of just being a depth guy, I don't know what you have to complain about. They could be doing much worse in terms of a depth guy on this team. We've done much worse for a depth guy on this team in recent years. That's the most funny (laughs) thing about it. Uh, yeah, people miss Al Horford. I miss Al Horford as much as anyone, and Aaron Baines, of course, too. Uh, it was, you know, Stevens has said it himself. It was tough to beat what those guys were doing defensively. They were just the best at it. And they've had to play a different way this year, given what they have at their disposal. And uh, they haven't had it be a weakness. So what more can you ask for? And here's the other thing on Canada, too. Stevens loves him. I mean, how many times does Stevens turn to him when they're in trouble? and uh, hope for him to be the guy that can turn the game around. If you trust Stevens, he's trusting him, I'm trusting him too. That's the perfect way to end this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I appreciate it, Adam. Man, I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you for coming on, Bobby. Enjoy the game. Try and get some awesome clips, and uh, let me know what it was like afterwards. Hit me up. All right, talk to you soon, Adam. Awesome, dude. Have a good one.